Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm John Norman and today bringing you another exclusive interview, this time between one fast bowler and another. Mark Wood in for the fifth ball of the over. It's fault straight off the bat of the ground. Steve Harmison sitting down with a man who has 50 test wickets, a man who can easily bowl over 90 miles an hour and a man lucky enough to win the Cricket World Cup. Here is Wood. Look at you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 and an exclusive interview with the England fast bowler Mark Wood. First of all, Mark, a month on from what has been, I think, a, obviously a crazy summer, but a great summer for English cricket and English sport for lockdown and COVID. But to see that on TV, there was some, you know, there was some high-level cricket played. Hi, Harmy. Thanks for having us. It's been, a, like you say, a crazy summer. The fact that we've just got some cricket in is a major bonus. It was looking at one point, especially early on the summer, that we weren't going to get anything. Um, bowling tennis balls in the back garden, going for runs out by yourself on the street, people looking at you a little bit funny in the <laughs> in the lane. But look, it had to be done, um, and I'm just glad that we've got some cricket in the end. And we've got to give massive credit to the West Indies, Pakistan and uh, Australia for coming over, and the staff at both Southampton and Manchester were fantastic with the team. Um, I can't praise them enough. Um, so something that was a little bit different and a little bit strange was made a lot easier by um, those people. How was life in that bubble if the, you, you praised, and rightly so, Aegeus Bowl and Emirates Old Trafford for the way they've looked after you? But it, it must have been dark times in times because I just kept reminding people, you switch on five minutes before the toss starts, five minutes before the toss and the game starts and you, you're making your tea or, or supper, in your house by the time, I don't know, the lads have come off the field when they're finishing the game. So they don't see before, they don't see end, they don't see warm-up days and they don't see the, the after or in-between times. They're tough times, especially when you're in a bubble like that. Yeah, I thought it was actually hard not playing as well because mm -hmm. I didn't play many games. And I found it difficult to almost 
get up for the next day because it was like Groundhog Day times. Yeah. You'd get up um, and late on at night where usually you could get out, you could sample you know, the culture of a place or you get some people or you go to a nice restaurant if you're on tour. Even if you're in England, you can go to some places that you've maybe not been before. You can socialise with the lads. Whereas this time, you finish eating your, what felt like a school dinner <laughs> in a dinner hall, uh, a table to yourself. Um, I nearly wrote Woody was here a couple of times, <laughs> but decided not. Um, and then you sort of go back to your room at seven o'clock and it's like, well, what do I do now? And people might think, oh, well, you'll get to bed at nine o'clock. But I was actually going the other way and getting to bed at one, two in the morning because you just, you can't, it's just like a lull of nothingness. And uh, then the next day, right, it starts again. And the cricket wasn't so bad when it was on because you were busy. But if you had off days, I found them the hardest because I, I mean, I counted Beefy's picture on the wall a few times in <laughs> Beefy's restaurant. It was 27 or 26 pictures of Beefy in his restaurant. That's how bored I got. I'm sure Serene would have loved them pictures, every <laughs> single one, wouldn't he? He'd know everything about them. But yeah, yeah and, it, and it is. And I, I, I can sympathise with that. And there'll be people listening at home who, let's be fair, we talk about professional sportsmen. And yes, we've got things. We had the, I, I'm saying I, we've got things. I had things. I was very privileged and very proud that the life I had and you know we're from a working class coal mine and background but it, it is tough when you are from a psychological point of view to get yourself you know motivated for the next day and also try and do your job properly oh yeah exactly right and look don't get us wrong I appreciate everything like that you, you looked after brilliant with England mm. uh, you paid well everything so let's all get away from the fact that you looked after very very well but from a mental health point of view so the bubble was hard because um, it wasn't just, you know, a week and then you get a break or something. It was like time after time after time. The only break you got was when you went to the next ground and then you'd settle into the new hotel for a couple of days and then it, it, you'd be back to the exact same ground thing again. So, again. Yeah. yeah, so I just feel like, you know, from a mental health point of view, um, we have guys in there. We had a psychologist who would pop in and out. We have a guy called Mark Saxby who's actually a masseur. But Brilliant guy. the heartbeat of the team, like literally he will take everyone's problem on it, yeah. problems on his shoulders and he, he seems to make it better. He doesn't get paid enough. Yeah, he's a top, top man. And he sort of would check in on people and make sure people are all right. Um, so we did have people who would sort of look after you, but it was down to you really to how much that you, you could give back. And it was very weird, actually, the atmosphere of having no fans in. I actually, in a way, it was like a positive and a negative. The positive was that it felt you felt a little bit more relaxed. It felt a bit more like a... A genuine like a club game mm-hmm. like a i was rocking up fashion and you know you're gonna have fun but then it also had that seriousness about it then when you got into the games that when you needed that extra edge or that bit to get you up or you need a wicket or the, the aussies are on mm-hmm. top right the crowd will give you a bit back we needed that at times and it wasn't there so we did miss the the fans the barmy army and things like that so um it was a bit strange but over the summer of what they outlined at the start, I think the ECB will be pretty happy that at least we've getting some cricket in and that we've been able to contribute to grassroots level and things like that. In this innings, Mark Wood has become the fastest bowler in England history when you look at average speeds. He went past uh, some other bloke from Ashington. You mentioned Ashington. Go back to, to then, fast bowler, 90-odd mile an hour. I can, I can say, where did it come from? Because Dad was a batsman. Uncle Neil, batsman, but you went down a fast bowling route. How did that? How are you getting that? Because uh, not exactly yeah. six foot five, and mm. you know Neil's not not a tall guy. Yeah. Mum and dad not tall. No idea. It must be something in the water up here. Me and you, I've got no <laughs> idea. But uh, I, I was started off as a batter as well, little swing bowler. 
Um, I actually remember a coach we had, or a senior player called Michael Thewlis. Yeah, who another po- one who is probably one of the best amateur cricketers I've ever played with. He pulled me aside one day and said, uh, you're trying to bowl too fast, what are you doing? <laughs> so that, that bit of advice worked well, didn't it, Michael? It did Michael? very well. Eh? Uh, but I think, look, I've got no idea. I think I had a, believe it or not, a growth spurt at one point, which took me from 4 foot 11 to 5 foot 5. And out of nowhere, I think I, I'd got a yard of pace. The timing of my action probably helped that sort of whippy, whippy athletic sort of nature that I've got. And in a way, it helped me being a bit lighter. And the fact that I know I've had injuries, but when I was young, being lighter actually helped me develop that pace. And then when I got to a certain level, I remember actually speaking to you, one of the people I spoke to, about getting strong in the right areas. Mm. So not going to the gym and being a bench press master i was never one of them <laughs> it was, not a bench press master i just never went to the gym <laughs> but it was about getting strong in the right areas and i think once my body developed a little bit more i was able to consistently hold that pace more and more and since i've changed my run-up that's helped even more yeah there's been a marked difference since you've you've changed your run-up but is that something that's always driven you from an early age just bowling fast not really uh and i had sat here but i was probably watching you on the tv mm. if i'm honest oh is it We crammed into the local cricket club lounge, as it's called. Uh, there was a TV. Um, you're bowling in the 2005 Ashes. You get that last week at Casper's. The whole lounge erupts. Everyone's up in arms. And we're jumping around. And I'll never forget then, you know, two days or three days later, you're back at the club hmm. with seeing everybody up there. And it was just that feeling of, you know, I want, I want to be like that. I want to achieve that. I'd love to be that go-to guy like you were. Um, and that was someone, you know, you were someone that I lo- looked up to. The anyway. cricket club had that though, and uh, what I mean by it breeds, that is... it breeds. It's a good breeding ground yeah. in terms of you know people are down to earth. If if you get too big for your boots, they'll bring you down pretty quickly. We are working class people, and I think the values in the northeast, and especially where we're from, um, I think they ring true in our sort of hard work. Yeah, you know, you you don't just you don't just get, get given it, and that you know if you have a sort of humble nature about you, and you you try your best, but. Yeah, yeah, kind along the way. I think it goes a long way. But I think what I mean by we had that, you, I, cricket clubs around the country. If you've got somebody that you've produced that have gone on to, you know, play first class cricket or play international cricket, you see them on the telly. You know, it produces good young players and interest that people comes with it. And we had that at, at you know, at the cricket club, and we've got that now. I think when you see, you know, you walk around the boundary, you see kids now wanting to be you, Mark Wood. How does that make you feel when you, like you said before, you you were walking around as a 12-year-old? I, I don't know. I feel, it feels kind of weird, actually. I think you know, I just feel the same normal lad that lived down the road. Mm. Um, used to walk up the cricket club with my bag, hop the fence, play chucksies, which is or skimsies or whatever you call it at home, where you would get a wind ball and you'd skim it off a, a ridge. And which you still do now, isn't it? it, it exactly, exactly. With uh, the kids at the cricket club. Exactly. Uh, one hand, one bounce, all that kind of stuff. I think I'm... A normal lad from a normal background, a working class background, who's been lucky enough to play for England, yeah. and you know you had a a talent that people looked up to, and it's great that you know hopefully I can inspire some other young kids there. Couple of quick fire questions, just to sort of change tact a little bit. Favorite wicket? Hetmeyer, St Lucia. Wood, five slips in place and a short leg. He bowls to Hetmeyer. No, he's nicked it, and Joe Wood has caught it. Favorite innings? Well, I just, I, I remember I texted you when I got my 50, so I'm going to have to say 50. 50. Yeah. Right, I'll leave, it, I'll leave it at that one. Toughest opponent to bowl to? Kane Williamson. It's like bowling at a barn door. I'm sure his bat's wider than everyone else's. 
And this is a hard one for you, I think. The most challenging moment in your career. Uh, I've had a few. I reckon third, probably third operation. Just came back from my second ankle operation. Things weren't right. Knew they weren't right. Had to go for a third ankle operation. Ended up having some pretty bad uh, mental health health stuff with anxiety. Had a panic attack on a flight. So around that sort of time, I would say that was the hardest because I didn't know if I wanted to do it anymore. I was sick of the rehab. I thought I would never reach the potential that I could or thought I had. And I was just generally sick of um, not being um, the player I wanted to be. So um, I did contemplate thinking, look, I've, I've had enough of this. Should I do something else? Um, but I'm glad I stuck with it. It's interesting that because uh, it, we talk about professional sportsmen um, and everybody sees the glitz. They don't see the downsides like we talked about earlier in the show. How close were you? Because you've come, you've had some, you know, not so much as well as challenging times, but you've had some times where you've, you've come back and broke down straight away again. How close have you been of thinking, you know what, I could easily just play for Durham, not push myself as much, try and bowl 85 mile an hour. And was that one a thought, two, a, a consideration, or was always I've got to play at the highest level and be the best and fastest bowlers I possibly can? I think um, I, I, can't, I wouldn't say I contemplated bowling slower um, and just, you know, settling in, have, trying to have a good little county career at Durham and maybe playing a few games for Ashton. I always wanted to, as soon as I had a taste for international cricket, that's what I wanted. As a lad that grew up from me, mum and dad, or you know the working class people that didn't have much when I was growing up. So to be feel so lucky and proud that I managed to play for England, mm. I wanted to try and keep that going and, and push myself as hard as I could. I was actually close a couple of times to saying, look, I've had enough, just because I didn't think I could cope with it um, with my body. Kevin Shine was a guy who always stuck by me, the England uh, fast bowling coach. Otis Gibson at the time stuck by me. The physios endlessly worked at me. Um, and like I said, probably my run-up was my biggest change to long-term change of longevity, being able to bowl longer spells, stick it out, uh, and get bigger and stronger that way. But initially with the, the short run-up, I was sort of in, out, in, out, injured, back, injured, back. And it's not so much the... That when you get back, because that's actually the the good bit mm. when you're back. It's the bit where you think, right, I've got to get back in the gym. And it's not just in the gym, mm. I've got to lift weights. It's yeah. little exercises. It's running on the streets when it's dark. Or, and it's lonely. Yeah, it's, or it's, right, I've got to go for another injection. And, and they're little things that, you know, people might think they're, they're nothing. But after four, five, six, seven times of doing it, you're like, I've had enough of this. Yeah. And is it, you know, is it something that you ever contemplated saying, time to move on and do something else yeah i did and but i would say at one point i definitely could play it right should i just go down the white ball route it's mm -hmm. less stress on my body 10 overs or four overs i could still make good money for my family mm -hmm. um and you know that could be a possibility that even in the future i might have to go down i don't know but more the fact that that was probably one time i'd say around that third operation where i was definitely like look I, i'm not sure that i can keep doing it oh it's in the air marinelli's there What was it like making your test debut? Scary, proud, exciting, a lot to take in. I would mm. say it took too much in, especially that first day. 
I text you actually on the night time. Yeah. Do you so, remember everything about that first yeah. initial phone call to letting go of that first book? Yes, uh, I remember everything about it. I remember feeling like I couldn't breathe. Uh, <laughs> I remember feeling like the ball wasn't going to literally come out my hand. But luckily, I bowled it to Tom Latham, who I'd played with at yeah. Durham at the time. Yeah. And he was kind enough to pat a long, uh, long hop back to me. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, I was fine. After he got the first ball out of the way, I was okay. But I took the cameras in. I took the crowd in. Bearing in mind, probably my biggest game was in front of a couple of thousand at Durham, maybe a 2020. I'd never been in a full house at Lords. I'd never even played at Lords. Mm. Every time I'd gone to Lords with Durham, I was 12th man. I'd never played. So my first game at Lords was for England, uh, making my debut. And it was just, I just took too much in. As you probably can imagine that you might do. It, uh, now, if I had a, advice of to a younger player, I'd say, you know, do take it in. But mm. remember when you're on, someone said to me, the stumps don't move. They do. And I remember that. I remember when I said that to you. But Ashes cricket f- soon came around. You know, I played against New Zealand, Lords, everything come, but nothing is like playing in the Ashes. And to bowl the ball that wins the Ashes is something special as well. Bowled in, dragged on. Would the man with the final wicket. 599 days after handing the urn over to Australia. Cook has his redemption. I think, you know, I've had a lot of people that say that to me. I don't think... It meant as much to me as what it has to other people. I, I know that might sound a bit strange, but actually winning the Ashes actually felt like a bigger achievement than just the guy that bowled the winning ball. Because mm. I think, you know, he dragged on a wide ball that wasn't really that good, but it's still a wicket. It's still but, a wicket. Stumps but, don't move. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It, it feels a bit strange to me that, you know, am I not making a bigger deal of it than it should be? It, it's obviously a proud moment. Any wicket is against Australia, but it was great. But I was more pleased at the fact that we got over the line that mm. game and it was a bit of relief. And the Ashes coming round the corner in best part of nearly a year's time. And you don't want to f- fast forward too much and look at you know, the big picture because you've got a huge series against India home and away. But what would it mean to Mark Wood to walk out at Brisbane first test match? Well, I've got great memories of that place. Um, and hopefully still be in a position in Sydney in the last test match to potentially win the Ashes away from home. Something that England have only done once in donkey's years. I think it would mean a lot, obviously, with Chris Silverwood being head coach, uh, an ex-bowler who's been there, who knows the hardships of Australia. He set out a plan of long-term of what we're after, him and Ashley Giles. I know from discussions, um, we're going to look to try and take myself, Jofra, mm-hmm. Ollie Stone, other quick bowlers around that time and rotate in and out and try and keep the heat on Australia like they have done on us over the years, especially on those wickets. We've got a great chance to go out there and we're building something test match cricket with a bat. Um, and I think we've got fantastic ball and depth to be able to, to cause a real upset there. Here comes Anderson in again and bowls. So this delivery is edging and he's out for that first slip. That happened so easily. That was the right length. That was the right line. say um, bowling rotation but you played the first test match of the summer with Stuart, with uh, Joffre Archer and then Stuart Broad rightly or wrongly you know test these and I would have done the same as an experienced player tested the you know the selectors and see if they wanted to get into a battle into a fight then he didn't play again how difficult do you think it's going to be to rotate especially with Broad and Anderson and Broad and Anderson have still for me have still got life left in them 
but how do you, difficult do you think it would be for the the, the selectors to re rotate with with them two guys still in the mix in bowling? To be fair, they're bowling very very well. Well, if you pull take it did this somehow, I've got no chance. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, I wouldn't uh, say exactly, but he'll have a he'll have a he'll, you know he'll have a choice of opinion of um uh, of asking to play each time if he bowls like exactly. that. Exactly. I think I think it was very special circumstances this summer and the fact that every game was so close back to back to back I yep. think if we go to Australia with the schedule the way it is I mean hopefully Covid there's a change in that or the schedule will be slightly different it'll not be so close together and compact so it'll give a chance for workloads to be managed a bit better if lads are doing well and they're feeling in good rhythm then they'll stay in the team I think in a, in a good way it pushes you on you mm. you want your friends to do well I want England to, wear, to win I'm a big fan obviously but you know, you're, you're competing and you want to do better than the next guy. You want to push yourself. You want to better yourself. Um, so I just want to improve myself going into Australia. And, you know, if, if that's not good enough, then it will be great to support the lads on the sidelines. But um, I'll be doing everything I can to get on the team. What's it like playing with these two? Because they are living legends. And, you know, I take the mickey out of them because they were two young bucks when I first <laughs> came about. Two older, experienced players now. They've still got, you know, still got a bit of life in them. They're still fantastic bowlers. But what's it like to play with them and the skill level of, of Anderson and Broad? I think it's, it, to start with, the Nets is probably a, a massive eye-opener because the way that they sort of train, how meticulous they are, what they're thinking about, they're actually thinking in the Nets how the fields they would have, how they'll get people out, how they'll bowl at certain batsmen, so Sibley in the Nets, how they don't just see, you know, Steve Smith, they're thinking, right, how would I get Sibley? How would I adapt to this? How would I adapt to that? Right now, Steve Smith's there. How would I adapt to this? And that skill level and that, I mean, Jimmy's got a, a wobble in-swinger and a wobble out-swinger. And I haven't even got a wobble full stop, so <laughs> I don't know. Well, I tell you what, you don't want to retire too early because <laughs> I've retired and five years later, I wobble everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but it, it must be, you must, you must think, you know, as much as it is frustrating, you know, to be and round and learn like that. I learned off coffee. I love coffee and learned off coffee. Caddick was a, you know, he, he, sometimes you struggle to, to get anything really out of Caddy. He was a fantastic cricketer and fantastic bowler. But the enthusiasm that Goffey had for the game and, you know, and Hoggy Simon, you mentioned, it was, it was great to be in, in a, a group of bowlers where you think, no matter how good you are as a batsman, I think we are better than you as a group of bowlers. Yeah, and I think, you know, with heaven, we haven't just got Jimmy and Brody who are phenomenal bowlers. And I think a lot of the time, batters are a little bit beaten before they, they go in against them too. They're talked up so much. They've got so much wickets behind them. They've got so much skill level behind them that they know that before they even get out there, they're in for a battle. But to have five, six, seven bowlers, Stokes, phenomenal bowler. I know everyone thinks about his batting, but actually his bowling skill Very is good, right up there. Yeah. Uh, reverse swing, swinging the ball. We've got Jofra's pace, I can bowl quick, uh, Sam Curran, Chris Wokes are around the team who are fantastic bowlers who would walk in any other international team straight away. And then you've got lads that aren't even getting in this side who you'd think on other international teams they'd get in. Craig Overton's had a fantastic summer in county cricket. Saqib Mahmoud's a, a lad that can bowl quickly. Ollie Stone's a lad that can bowl quickly. So we've got where depth is fantastic. I think, you know, if we can get it right and get the mix right, I think we could be a real handful for Australia. Here is Wood. Look at Straight through the number 11. Middle stump Yorker. Mark Wood has five. And just to finish off on Test Match Cricket, St Lucia go there off the back of not a great deal of cricket, but with a new run-up. 
how satisfying was that to not only bowl the way you bowled, but to put some easier own mind that this actually has worked. And I'm sure that is the the best day you've had in Test match cricket. Best, best feel you've had. Best, in test best match I've cricket. ever felt. Best I've ever felt, hands down. From a team point of view, the World Cup will trump anything. But from a personal point of view, that game was my sort of breakthrough, the best game I can imagine. I was a bit emotional in the dressing room after because of everything that had gone before, working so hard. I wasn't originally picked on that tour. Um, feel sorry for Ollie Stone, where I've been the other guy that's been injured and have to leave. Yeah. He got injured, had to leave, so I came in. I'd gone away with the Lions in the winter where Trevor Bayliss had said he wanted to see a bit more mangrel in mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so that meant cracking her up in the nets, being a bit more... Ruthless. Ruthless, yeah. yeah. Um, which actually isn't really in my nature. No, it's not. Um, so that's something that I, you know, with a new run-up I developed, I worked hard with in the winter. I wanted to prove, and this is quite selfish and a bit big-headed and not a bit like me, but I wanted to prove that I was a step ahead of the other lads that were in the lines at the time. I wanted to prove that, you know, I was better than them and that I deserved to be the next guy that was picked. Luckily, um, I did all right in the UAE against Pakistan here. That then got me the call up to go to West Indies. And St. Lucia, I don't think I, I could ever, you'll know what it's like, but to try and des- to describe to people at home, Root could have set any field mm. he wanted, anything. And I, all I could see was the bat and the stumps. So, so that's it. Yeah, that, I... that was literally it. I, I, know felt like, feel... I felt like I could run in all day. I felt like my legs were, yeah. you know, I felt like I was absolutely flying in and that my head, my body, everything was going towards yeah. the target and that it was literally like the ball off my fingers felt so at ease. Yeah. I know how you feel. Jamaica in 2004, 7 for 12. Yeah! That'll do it. Tescothic takes the catch. Harmison becomes the most successful bowler ever at Sabina Park. Sitting here now. The only two people, three people that were in the game was me, Chris Reed, and Marcus Truscothic. Mm. I was bowling, you know, in good lines, good length. I felt as though the wicket, the ball was coming out so well that I was going to get a wicket with every ball. If he nicked it, it would have went to first slip or it would have went to the wicket keeper. And when Vony, then everybody goes that Vony sent that, that field of about eight slips. Mm. To be fair, Vony stood behind Simon Jones and <laughs> Matthew Hoggard because he didn't Short want to catch man. him. He, he, could, he, he had the worst pair of hands in the world. That's why he was a great <laughs> captain because he stood at mid-off talking to his bowlers. But I just felt it doesn't matter where the other eight fielders feel. As, as long as them three are in position, two are in position, I'll get wickets and sitting right behind in the commentary box. It looked exactly like that. It looked as though you looked, you felt as though, uh, sorry, it looked as though you were feeling a million dollars. I couldn't, I couldn't actually sit. So I would walk back my mark and turn and go. And I remember every time I got a wicket, I'd just see this massive thumbs up <laughs> from the window. Yeah, I was, I was on commentary most time. <laughs> yeah. And it was great to, it was great to see because I'd been with the dark time of Mark, Mark Wood probably six weeks earlier when mm. you didn't get picked and you had to go through all this mm. and you had a nude run up but you didn't know whether it was going to be the right thing mm. so to feel the way you felt must have been unbelievable it was it was easily the best feeling I think personally because I actually felt then like I belonged mm. in the England team I was always on the fringe I never really lived up the potential that people saw or I've inwardly or um, deep down I really believed that I was but I'd never shown that so that was a, a, a bit of a relief a lot of emotion and for the that was the first game I felt like a, an England player. Still to come on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, Mark Wood discussing what it was like to win the Cricket World Cup and explaining why he hated playing in the final at Lords. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Gattel's going to push for Tony. They've got to go. It's got to throw. It's got to go to the keeper's end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. By the barest of all margins. Absolute ecstasy for England. Agony. Agony for New Zealand. So to the World Cup, it looked as though, and I'm going back off experience, in 2005, there was a group of fast bowlers ready and primed waiting for Australia. And I... I think it took 18 months to get them in a position to go. Now, looking at England in the World Cup 2019, it wasn't so much the fast bowlers, it was a team. Owen Morgan, Sir Andrew Strauss, Ashley Giles, Trevor Bayliss, everybody had got this white ball unit. Over the course of two or three years, we were ready for what was going to happen in England. Did it feel that way inside the 15-man squad? Definitely, definitely, without literally without a doubt. It was like we developed a little white ball family yeah. that had started I mean I'm going to be cringe as anything here but it was like we'd started this journey I'm going to throw cliches at you here this journey <laughs> yeah. that four years ago we were down in the dumps in Australia and then we came through mm. the light the phoenix rose yeah. but look it was it was it was a bit like that when we got the world cup everybody knew each other inside out mm. everybody knew each other's game we knew our rules in the team it had changed slightly with Joffre coming in because he was obviously new to the group but everything else was, it was, everybody knew what they were doing, knew their roles, knew how we were playing. Morgie had us well drilled. He had the values set into that team. Be positive, enjoy each other's success, courage, um, always be brave with yeah. with your options. Um, and he led that way. He's very level on the field. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, but he will take them on on the cricket field. I remember one of the first, one of the first games against New Zealand under Morgie's captaincy um, in 2015, 
Uh, we just lost a wicket, and then Morgie first ball got caught slog sweeping on the line. Everyone was like, "What's he doing? Yeah. Just rebuild?" And he was like, "No, nah, this is the way we play. We take them on. If we could take them down, take them down." And we were all out for like <laughs> three sixty or something in like forty odd overs, and it was like, "This is mental. Like, what are we doing? Like, just play smart cricket or oh, knock a one." Every all the English, English crowd, English, yeah, uh, English well old played. gentleman cricket. Yes, yeah. but now that wasn't the way we were going to play. And when we led into the World Cup, it was just a case of. I can honestly say this. Uh, you might think it was different because we lost a few games, but I didn't feel like we could get beat. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we'd built, we'd beat every team out there. Do you think that helped? Do you think them situations helped you because of such a tight unit in difficult times? I do. I think you know the media kept bagging on about, you know, your favourites is is the expectations on your shoulders. Do you feel the pressure? I didn't feel any different. Yeah. I felt like this was the same team, and that you know when you're in the trenches, when there is hard times. I'm going to look me right, Stokesy's there. I'm going to look me left, Josh Butler's there. We've got match winners all the way through the team, and when, when we need it, someone doesn't leave it the next guy. Someone puts their hand up and we'll win the game. And I thought when Morgan did an interview about that was absolutely brilliant. For me, that was a catalyst of moving forward if I was in that team. When I think it was Nick Knight asked him, uh, your, your favourites is that, is that pressure? And he just turned around and no, we're going to enjoy being favourites. He was mm. basically saying, yeah, we're favourites. We know we're going to win it. And you know we're gonna we're gonna show everybody we're gonna do it, and that seemed to get you through some you know some difficult times. Take us back to the morning of the you know of the of the final, and what was the atmosphere like going out when you know the toss was and you're ready to go? I'll take you the night before. Uh, night before I was strangely relaxed, hmm. very strangely relaxed, which is uh, a surprise for you. Yeah, I was absolutely <laughs> fine. I couldn't believe it. I was thinking, like, it just hadn't really hit me. Yeah. It was like. Uh, I remember I'd been training and the the day before we'd played a lot of cricket. Morgie said, get what you need done. I thought, I don't even need a ball here. Yeah. I don't need to. I'll bowl the morning of the game, check which end I fancy of the morning of the game. I'm absolutely fine. And it wasn't until uh, my best mate came for food with me on the night time with me and my wife. And he said, uh, I can't believe we're going to play in the World Cup final tomorrow. <laughs> we used to play World Cups at the local cricket club. Yeah. And then I was like, That's really what Whoa. you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. And that was probably the first time it hit me. And then the next morning, I remember seeing the banner plastered on Lord's uh, ICC World Cup final. Yeah. And when the banner was up around the stands, I was like, this is this is it. Mm. Jason Roy had the most energy, double the energy I had. So that tells you how much energy he had on the morning of the game. He just couldn't stop shouting. Yeah, uh, I'm going to flick him off my legs for six. You know what I mean? I'm going to hit him straight. You know what I mean? I'll probably get a double hundred. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, Jess, will you cut? Even for me, yeah. I'm like, you need to calm yeah, down, man. Just take the Red Bull off him. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I remember we, we go out for the warm-ups and stuff. I've bowled both ends. And then the toss is delayed because of weather. Yeah. So I'm like, right, what should I do? Should I bowl again? No, I'll have bowled me 10 over straight through. Yeah, I need to try and relax. I'll have a few high catches. Oh, we're coming off a rain. Oh, I'll j- just five more catches. And then we toss. I'm thinking, right, what do I want to do? Me and Rash always want to bowl first. Get yeah. get what bowling done, and then we can watch yeah, the lads whack it You've got to have a big lunch. Yeah, yeah, lunch. watch them whack it off, as we always do. But that morning, I I don't know what it was. I was just, it was a bit grey, a bit overcast. I was a bit worried that if we did bat, you know, because we're used to playing on belters yeah. where we whack it. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, Wams, if it just does a little bit here, and then we've got to try and bowl them out and we don't have enough runs. And It was a poor surface as well. Poor uh, well, I actually surface. hated the game, Harmy. Yeah. I, I, honestly, people keep saying, oh, the World Cup final was the best. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. I absolutely hate it. The end bit was the best. Yeah. 
but I, the whole match, I hated the whole game. Was that the atmosphere or the tension? And the tension, that without a doubt, the tension. Um, was it the, the first time throughout the seven-week tournament you th- you really thought oh, we are favourites and we we're supposed to win here? Yeah, a little bit. I think I think it was the fact that look, we're actually here now. Yeah. This is the yeah. bit where we're, we're meant to win. Yeah. Like the That's rest the of it, part. The, the rest of it, like. Mm. I believe we would win this bit. We're meant to win it. Mm. Uh, it's slightly, slightly different. I know it's weird the way I'm saying it, but it, it felt different. And I was actually so overcharged, overthinking it, over hyped to to bowl because I was first change. Mm. And I was like, right, give me the ball. Right, I'm warmed. Right, I'm gonna bowl as fast as I can. Where <laughs> I get the ball in my hands? And I bowled a pile of rubbish. Mm. Uh, I've, w- I've watched it back since, and I am screaming at the television. Just hit the top of off stump. The <laughs> I mean, wicket is doing enough. What are you doing? It's hard though because me and Fred used to, me and Andrew Flintoff used to sit first test match lords when we were a little bit more experienced, and you'd look at it was always debutants in the squad, and you'd look and you'd think, well, he's not going to last five minutes. He might. He's going to struggle because a lot of the time people would come into lords first test match to get the big bag of gear. They look at the honours board and see the great names have done against great countries that's on a Monday Tuesday they're doing the same Wednesday they're even hyper by the time they get to Thursday morning they've used all their energy and they play shots that arguably they would never have played for their clubs our county side mm. and they've, they've, they've sort of they're knackered by the time mm. the mentally second day they're yeah. mentally fatigued so is that what happened to to players in, in England and in New Zealand side because it wasn't a let's be fair it, was a, it wasn't a great great belt and pitch mm. But two, you know, modest totals. I feel like, if anything, you know, Lords raises it for the opposition. Yeah. Because of the the place it is, it's an iconic place. Everybody wants to win at Lords. Everybody wants to win their game game at Lords. I think the World Cup added a little bit more pressure. But for for us, it was another game to try and win the World Cup mm. final. And I, I feel like the pressure that it was just te- it was a tense game. They didn't really get away from us, but we didn't really as well yeah. as we, we could I felt I'm the only one in the whole team and I can honestly say this because when we came off I asked a few of them do you think we've let them get too many I kept saying do you think we've let them get too many I thought they got 20 too many I yeah. honestly think that because it nipped around a little bit and I mean the cap- when the captain Morgie speaks you, you listen and he went that's par we get partnerships we win this game easy mm. and I was just like I couldn't believe how blunt it was mm. like par it's just <laughs> so deadpan yeah. I was just like I don't know if it is like uh <laughs> And I can honestly say that. I mean, I said to Joss as well, and he, he was like, mm, we should win. Yeah. And I think that's just, I don't know if that's just the confidence we had in each other, how good our batting lineup is, but it wasn't that easy. How was Trevor Bayliss in all this? Because, first of all, what was it like to play under Trevor? He seemed to be a very sort of, very calm and level headed character, but also somebody who would rather you work it out for yourself than try and force you with information to try and you know push you down a direction yeah, let you, you have your you with Trevor don't get us wrong he's not like he doesn't just sit back and yeah. he will give you input but Trevor was very much he let the captain lead hmm. um, he let the dressing room lead itself and he let you work out your own problems the the thing that reminds me of Trevor is I remember two, two things semi-final this is why England don't win anything because you're celebrating semi-finals yeah when we beat Australia at Edgebaston, we were jumping about in the dressing room after, and he stopped us straight away and went, this is why Australians think England are losers, because mm-hmm. he celebrates our finals. We played grand finals, la, la, la. Of course, he was very much right, but when you've just beat Australia in a semi-final, you're, you're, you're going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's, a, he's an Australian, yeah, so exactly. you got to put two fingers up and say, na, 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 na. <laughs> uh, And uh, the other thing that reminds me of Trevor is uh, 
down, up, throw. I must have done 150 fielding drills with Trevor by myself at times where he would tell me, down, up, throw. Uh, uh, and it, that was who he was. He was as clear cut as that. He was so simple in the fact that get loud of the ball. It yeah. was like, this is what you teach under 11s. But he literally, that was how he was. Keep it simple. What's the best way to win? Take them on. And that was literally it. Do you think that was going through Jason Roy's? <laughs> it kept going Jason Roy's head when he picked the second one up as when he misfielded the first well, one. Well, Mo and Ali's comedy genius. Honestly, I, I, Mo is one of the funniest, driest people you'll ever meet. And before the last ball, the doctor has turned the other way. He's looking at the crowd. I'm like, come on, mate. This is the last ball. And my heart's beating on my chest. And... Um, the lads are saying, what's he going to bowl? Oh, he's going to bowl a bouncer. Oh, he's going to bowl a slow ball. Oh, he's going to bowl a yorker. And more went, well, as long as it doesn't go into J-Roy, we'll be all right. <laughs> Stokes in a game. Small isn't it? It's been taken. Stokes has done it again. Just when England needed a hero, they found one. This 2019 really typifies Ben Stokes as a, a person, a character and a sportsman. Couldn't agree more. Everything you've just said, absolutely spot on. Never, ever, ever, ever give up when I think of Stokesy. Mm. He's the guy that, you know, if they need five to win and they've still got five wickets left, he would still believe that he's going to win that game and he'd do everything in his power. He saw it at Henley in the Ashes. The World Cup, he was a superman. Mm. What was he like during that World Cup final? He was, he said he was one involved the best things. in everything. He said one of the best things probably for the whole group, mm. uh, Stokesy. Him and Morgs are the two that I certainly remember because I thought they were bulletproof, both of them. We got beat off um, Sri Lanka, then we got we lost against Australia. We had to win every game, essentially. Four, four matches to win the World Cup, we can't lose. Which probably helped. Yeah, um, and we had a meeting, a psychology meeting, the psychologist David Young, who's now at Man City, they're obviously struggling. So, yeah. David, you're not as good as <laughs> you think you are. Say, yeah, uh, but uh, he called a meeting, and um, we all had a chat about how... We were going to get back on track, revisit our values, revisit what, what served us well, what we do. And we had a chat about how we felt. And Stokes, he said, you know, I'm frightened of messing up. And I couldn't believe it. That's how I felt. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that he said that openly. And he never says anything like yeah. that. And I was surprised that he, he allowed himself to say the group, you know, I feel exactly the same as you. Because yeah. he, he never acts like that. And actually that lifted a weight off my shoulders. I think, you know what, I'm on the same boat here. Mm-hmm. He's not thinking, Woody looks nervous, Woody might mess up, he could cost me. He's thinking the exact same thing as me. Morgan was exactly the same. And after we sort of cleared the air, it was like we had each other's backs yeah. again, and that was it. In goes Archer, around the wicket, it's up, back pad, he's gone. He's got him. Archer has picked up his fourth. It's a sharp catch by Zach Crawley. And another one, Jofra. He's somebody who I watched closely over the course of the last few weeks because of the IPL. He seems more at home in franchise and with, with the IPL. But people listening at home want to know what Joffre Archer's like because you've got this enigma of somebody who just, I can relate to it a little bit, somebody who just ambles in and all of a sudden with a quick whoosh of the shoulder comes out at 90, 95 mile an hour. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I've said, you know, in the pressure situation of what the English media and English sport does, possibly hampered Joffre in his international career so far but he seems to be thriving in franchise cricket is it as simple that Joffre might just need a little bit more time to get used to playing international cricket and the scrutiny that comes with international cricket maybe yeah I think obviously when he first gets in the team 
it's a whirlwind, isn't it? I mean, he's straight into a World Cup, essentially. Yeah. I mean, he played a few games against Pakistan, but, you know, it doesn't get much bigger than straight into a home World Cup when you're the guy that the whole of the media is talking about. And he coped with that brilliantly. Ended up being the hero of the Super Rover, which will be remembered forever. Yeah. So, although you might say he's still fighting his feet, he's a young guy in international cricket, he's well into the dressing room now. Everybody gets on well with him. He's just another part of the dressing room. He's very relaxed. He could sleep on a wash, washing yeah. line. You know, he's a he's a guy that I feel is a little bit misunderstood by the media. He I know does, what you mean. Yeah. He does actually care a hell of a lot. He tries his best all of the time, uh, and I think sometimes he gets a hard time for you know this attitude where it's as if he he doesn't care, but actually he really does. It's just some days it might click for him and others it doesn't. Um, but he's very well respected and well liked in our dressing room, and no nobody would would say that about him. And the two captains, you look at. They're different characteristics, Joe and with a red ball, Owen Morgan with the white ball. Do you think it is the right thing for English cricket? I'm, I'm probably putting you on the spot here. The right thing for English cricket, from a mentality point of view, for the individuals to have somebody captain the red ball team and somebody captain the white ball team because of where you go around the world, the pressure of the cricket that's played, as well as franchise cricket in between, that it's, it's probably a nice little distraction that Joe's not captain of the white ball team and Owen's not captain of the red ball team. And they can they can go with it a, a fresh, a little bit of freshness when they first take the, you know, the, the, the reins when the first week. Yeah, and I, what I would say is they're very different captains, mm. um, which I'm glad that Rudy is his own man. He hasn't tried to clone himself on Morgie. Obviously, he's played on a Morgie for a little bit yeah. before he became captain. So I'm glad that he hasn't tried to be an Alistair Cook and Owen Morgan. He's very much his own man. Um, and it's, it's very different. Now, it's, what I would say is that Rudy is now building his own team, um, a team that he's developing with the batting lineup. And, you know, what focus very much was on the World Cup under Trevor. I mean, we wanted to win test matches and everything. But, mm. you know, the main focus was we were down the dumps. We had a home World Cup. We wanted to win that World Cup. I would say the test match schedule was very much different. The white ball was the main central of the summer. So Rooty is now building a team where the, the test match focus is now more on the test match team yeah. winning in Australia. Um, obviously, we've got the 2020 World Cup, which is a massive deal. Um, and we've got another World Cup in the future. But, I mean, I've played on some great captains. Without a doubt, they're all fantastic. Joe Root, Paul Collingwood, fantastic captains, but Owen Morgan's the best. Yeah. How important is a coach in all this? Very important. Making sure that he doesn't cross boundaries, making sure that that's that team and that's that I team think, and I think that's the, the values coach, of each team. I mean, the, you'll know at international level, a coach isn't a, right, we need to put your arm here, we yeah. need to get your leg here, we need to do this. And the He's bowling, a psychologist. Yes. The, the, for me, the head coach takes the pressure off the players. He delegates well, he helps the captain as much as he can and when he speaks, everyone listens because what he does say is really important. Uh, we have a style of player from the coach and the captain that work together and I feel like I knew Chris Silver would well because he was a bowling coach. And Did I, that help? Yeah. How, was it not difficult that, as a bowling coach, you can go to him and he's be your best mate? And you can tell him oh, things you wouldn't saying. tell the coach. Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. It's like, um, it's like having an assistant manager in football. Yeah, I see you what tell you're your saying. assistant manager everything that you wouldn't tell a manager. Yeah. And it's easier to go to him as opposed to not wanting to go to to, to the to the coach, i.e. Trevor Bayless. I see what you're saying, but I think Spoons has got such a good reputation and he's such a nice bloke in general that it's made that very easy. He's absolutely mental as well, which makes I know, I grew up with Spoons. He's (laughs) one of the the toughest men and the hardest men I've ever met. So he makes it easier for me because I'm a bit mad as well. How is he on discipline? Because that could be the difficult part when you've got to discipline somebody. Yeah, I I think he's very honest, Spoons, I think. Yorkshireman, yeah. Yeah, I think if, if 
you know, he's not happy about something. He'll, he'll, he'll not be horrible or he'll not be nasty about it, but he'll, he'll tell you straight. And I think, you know, honesty is the best way forward. No, I think he's he's a great man. And I think I actually think English cricket have got things in place now that it's arguably the best management structure that I believe that England have had for a long, long time. I don't think that England could have could be in any better place than where they are now. And you're going to go, hopefully, to Australia and hopefully try and win the urn back. But before that, you've got India, huge. Is that what you would say is the best warm-up for the Ashes? It's, I would say it's even. It's not even a warm-up for the, for the Ashes. I'd say it's a big deal, full stop. Yeah. I think they've got so much to pick from in India. You're seeing now with the IPL all the good young players that's come through, never mind the good experienced players they've got. So that'll be a massive test for us to see where we are as a young, especially batting unit, a young batting unit coming through. Can we deal with the likes of Bumrah? Can we deal the spinning conditions in India or the UAE? I think it's a big test um, and one that I'm sure we can deal with. Um, I know you'll say that. I, I have to say that because they're my teammates. <laughs> but I think that, you know, if we, if we want to get to where we want to get to, and that's number one, we want to beat Australia, we're going to have to beat sides that are right up there and we're going to have to find a way. And I think that's the best way of putting it. Find a way to beat them. We've got the, we feel we've got the depth. Let's find a way to beat them. That's the best saying for me in any dressing room. No matter what your preparation was like, no matter how good your nets were, no matter how well you feel, when you get on the field, plan A could go out the window, plan B can go out the window, and you find a way. And I think that's arguably what England's white ball team have done for the last however many years, culminating in the World Cup. And I think that's what the red ball team have got to learn to do. And that's going to be the challenge of, of, of what India comes. So, yeah, I wish... Everybody in England well, because I want them to do it. And it's nice when you're playing because you've got a, an added interest in Ben Stokes and a few others. And you've got a legacy to live up to. And going a little bit back on what we've been saying, but that 2019 World Cup win, how good was it to show the case the trophy around the country and get young people to... And you get to see what it meant to young people. I remember watching a video the next day. It was a woman who was 82, I think. Yeah. And I, she says, um, she has a grandson. And she says, oh, I'm so happy, George. And it was just like, wow, I can't yeah. believe that even, you know, it stretched that far. You see Trafalgar Square, you see every... People might not believe this, but we saw every video. Mm. The media guys showed us celebrating in local cricket clubs. And it was amazing to see and think the impact. Because I know people might think, oh, well, you're an England cricketer, but... It's mad even for me to think that, that that is the impact that we would have. I think being able to take the trophy up to my local cricket club was a huge deal for me. 400 people turned up yeah. for that. Unbelievable. Yeah. So took it up the road where I grew up. Endless pictures. I had arms like Arnie in the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's Arnie Gilholm. <laughs> and for anybody who's listening from Ashton, they'll know who Arnie Gilholm is. He's <laughs> the best bowler that's ever played the game. He's better than Fred Truman, Arnie Gilholm. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was lovely to take that up and... and you know, showcase at the, the local community and, and a lot of the young kids that I now watch growing up there. Here is Wood. Looks at yeah! Straight through the number 11, Middlestock, Yorker. Mark Wood has five. Mark, we'll finish you know, with a chat on, basically on you and what you've accomplished, the way you've gone about your, your career so far. And I'm so proud of 
the way the way you've gone. What's left for Mark Wood to accomplish, and what's going to drive you on to get to where you want to be by the time you're age 42, like I am, sitting here five stone heavier than what than what I was when I played? How are you going to get there, and what's going to drive you? I think the the driving thing for me is to to win things. I think winning the Ashes, winning the World Cup, having that sort of that time where you'll never forget those memories with your teammates is literally invaluable. Um, you can have the medals, you can have everything, but the memories of achieving that. And I think personally, I still think I've got a lot to prove and, and to prove a lot of people wrong. I know you might say, oh, well, you've taken wickets here, you've won the World Cup, but you know, I, I feel like I'm always trying to claw back potential, claw back a career that I could have had or should have had without injury. And I feel like I've still got a lot of things to prove and I still want to have that drive and determination to to prove people wrong and for myself to, to, you know, be as good as I can be and, and look up to great names that's ahead of me and try and, and catch those guys. Well, I, I always wish you well. And thank you very much on behalf of TalkSport 2. We wish you well in South Africa and in India. And, you know, thanks very much for enlightening. And hopefully everybody's enjoyed at home listening to The Critic Collective on TalkSport 2 with Mark Wood. Our thanks to both Steve Harmison and Mark Wood for their time over the last hour. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. If you've missed any of the show or just wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. Thanks for listening. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.